Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Inflation bites again, this time even harder. What's pushed the CPI to a 40-year high? To combat high gas prices, the president will allow more ethanol and gasoline this summer. But will it actually help you at the pump? People are dying in Shanghai from the city's strict lockdown measures. They can't get medical help. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Inflation didn't peak in February as many had hoped. In fact, last month it got even worse. The CPI is up 8.5% in the 12 months through March. That's the fastest pace in 41 years. Sky-high energy prices are behind much of the rising prices. There was 32%. Food, too, played a significant role, climbing 8.8% for the year. Basic essentials, really. Inflation is also top of mind for America's small businesses. According to the NFIB in March, 31% of owners reported that inflation was the single biggest problem in their business. It's the highest reading in over 40 years. 72% of owners, 72%, are raising their average selling prices. That's the highest reading in the survey's history. To combat high gas prices, President Biden will allow higher volumes of ethanol to be added to gasoline. This comes with environmental concerns and concerns for your car's health. The idea is to increase the amount of fuel in the market and hopefully bring prices down. But will it actually work? Anthony's Con Fredrickson has more. Biden is allowing for there to be more ethanol and gasoline this summer to fight high gas prices. Ethanol is a type of alcohol that's mixed in with gasoline. The U.S. Department of Energy says it gives fuel more oxygen. Normally, the government only allows gasoline that's 10% ethanol in the summer because having more produces smog. But now they're moving it to 15. What Biden is doing is suspending that to say we need as much volume as possible, so let's ignore the maximum numbers and use more ethanol to try to increase the volume. Daniel Turner is the founder of Power the Future. Turner says Biden recognizes that the high gas prices come from low supply. The average national gas price is currently at $4.09.8. It's on a downward trajectory, but still high. Ethanol is not gonna help that much at all, if any, and if it does, it's less than 10 to 20 cents a gallon. Jay Young is the president of King Operating Corporation. Young says what will help is drilling for more oil. Some in the oil industry wonder if more ethanol will lower prices at all, since refiners sometimes have to pay more for ethanol blending. There is no ideal amount of ethanol. Actually, if you could have no ethanol, that would be great. Lauren Fix is an automotive expert at Car Coach Reports. Fix says gasoline with 15% ethanol, or E15, could damage your car. What happens is it separates over time and ethanol makes it run hotter, and that heat can do damage to the motor. In addition, when it does separate from just sitting, the, what ends up happening is it does absorb water, which is a problem, but in addition, it destroys the emission systems, mass airflow sensors. Meanwhile, the Biden administration says E15 is currently sold at 2,300 gas stations out of 150,000 stations nationwide. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. AAA says the price of gas is falling, with the nationwide average touching just below $4.10. It's still up $1.25 on last year, but looking on the bright side, it's down $0.08 cents from last week and uh, $0.23 cents from last month. Analysts say falling oil prices have helped. 
The least expensive gas in the U.S. is a tie between Kansas and Oklahoma at $3.67. The most expensive is found in California, where residents are paying $5.75 per gallon. And joining us is Jim Urio, options trader, managing director of TJM Institutional Services. Jim's also the co-owner of a restaurant called Brands of Palatine. Jim, how are the gas prices up in Illinois? Well, they're terrible. You know, we're, there's, there's five states that have ridiculous gas taxes, and Illinois is so fortunate to be among those. And here's what's really interesting, too, is that the governor of Illinois right now is suspending part of the gas tax between now and, and the fall. I don't know what's Oh, yeah, there's an election happening in the fall. So he's suspending the gas tax between now and then. And as part of that rule that he passed, each gas pump in the state of Illinois has to have a sticker on it that calls attention to the fact that he's reducing the gas tax between now and um, and uh, the election. I know it, it sounds comical, but it's true. And to me, it smacks of, of uh, desperation. To me, it, it smacks of them obviously knowing that with gas prices at this level, he's really, really hurting our economy. And uh, they just continue to do things like this. I've heard about stickers on gas pumps around the country, Jim, but not these particular stickers. <laughs> these but I'll leave it there. Ones. I'll, le- I'll leave I'm it sure there. I'm sure they're supposed to go over those other ones, probably. <laughs> Jim, in the restaurant, I assume you're one of these small business owners who's been forced to raise your prices. Are fewer people coming because of that? Well, so not at our place because our our place, remember, we're an upscale pub. And I still think people view that price point as an affordable luxury. And it almost seems to me that the worse things get other places, probably the better we will get because people will dial back from going to the higher end places and going to us. But we've had to raise our prices substantially. We estimate that our supply costs are up over 20% right now, and we still anticipate worse to come. And remember that in Illinois, we've had two different raises of minimum wages um, during the last 14 months. And and a lot of the restaurants, particularly local family places like ours tries to be, employs a lot of kids, high school kids, things like that. And you you can pay them minimum wage because they just mostly want to get the work experience and we want to train them for bigger and better things. Um, That model is falling apart because of the uh, absurd raises in minimum wage. Have you had to take on fewer people because of this? We've run lighter shifts. We keep the same amount of people. We haven't fired anybody, but we we are reluctant to add additional staff, even though we know that we could potentially be busy. So that's why you get to all these restaurants and they're apologizing ahead of time for poor service. And I I hate that because I hate apologizing for potential failure before it even happens. But I understand it completely because these restaurants are not they can't really run at the normal staff that they had because expenses are just too high and they can't make a buck. Jim, you said online that the inflation we're seeing was intentional. What did you mean by that? Well, of course it was intentional. For 10 10 years, the Fed has been talking about um, getting inflation. I was just reading an article today from CNBC.com from August of 2020 talking about how the Fed is going to get serious about with major measures to increase inflation. Now, remember that that going into the the pandemic, there were several states whose debt burden was ridiculous, whose pension obligations were ridiculous, and the only possible way a state like Illinois, where I'm sitting right now, was ever going to make it was if we absolutely monetized the debt, both in the, the traditional debt and in the pension obligations, meaning that you must just flood the money, flood the system with money, uh, you know, collect higher taxes, devalue all the dollars that you're paying out, and that's the only way the system can, can survive. So they've been talking about this for years, and I'm not suggesting anything nefarious. Just kidding. I am suggesting something nefarious. But I will say this, that um, 
that it's very, very convenient for a lot of these states that we flooded the market with money and inflated away some of their debts. Are we seeing this in the numbers? Is this potentially could benefit the government, you feel? Yes, of course. It could benefit the, go the government of Illinois, which is really almost sad for me to admit that absolutely approximately $200 billion flowed from the federal government into the state of Illinois when you count it at different, at different levels. Um, our financial situation is not as bad as it once was because we do have a lot more money, a lot of cheaper dollars, uh, albeit. But yes, of course it did help. Now, will, will states that proved to be completely irresponsible and poor stewards of our dollar before do things different now to lead us to the promised land? I have zero confidence in that, but it did help the financial system of Illinois. Can, let's take the federal government as an example, can they inflate away their debt if they're spending all of these massive deficits? They can because there's really no challenger to King Dollar right now. I think it's, it's completely irresponsible to, to, to sail closer and closer to the rocks and tempt fate that someone eventually is going to say the dollar is not worth it if they're going to keep creating more and more dollars. So, but the, the reality of it is they can't. So I describe it at this, a speech I gave recently was that prior to all this nonsense happening with dollar creation, I thought there was a 0.001 chance of Everest being in a situation of hyperinflation. Now I think there's a three to 5% chance. That's changed dramatically in my mind that now it's actually something that's conceivable that we get to a spot where they print too many dollars. But again, it's conceivable, but still a low probability event. And if it does happen, I think it's years away. Wording numbers. Jim Urio, Brands and Palatine. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Thanks, Paul. One of the first apparent victims of global inflation is Sri Lanka. It's a small island country to the south of India. Its central bank is struggling to pay its foreign debts, calling it challenging, impossible. The country's on the brink of bankruptcy. The Sri Lankan people are short on food and fuel, and the power is going out daily. So instead of paying its debts, Sri Lanka is using its foreign currency reserves, the little they have left, to pay for essentials like imported fuel. It is $25 billion in foreign debt and $7 billion is supposed to be paid this year. People in the German city of Cologne are trying to use less gas at home. The German government is trying to wean itself off Russian energy since the war in Ukraine. But that's not easy or cheap. The Discount Fredrickson has the story of one German family caught in the middle. Like many other German households, Sebastian Zuger and his wife are working to cut back on their gas consumption. That's despite the country's reluctance to join the EU ban on Russian gas imports. It was definitely a way to save on gas, to not use the gas stove, but the induction plate. It's a very simple appliance which we also have in our weekend home, and we've only had positive experiences with it. Plus, the coffee is ready much more quickly. The couple wonders how else they could save on the use of natural gas. We like to take a bath, which means using the gas-fired water heater, so there isn't really a possibility to save much on gas, except maybe if we don't wash ourselves anymore. But now we're thinking, the gas-fired water heater is relatively new. What's the right thing to do? Do we throw it out? Should we install a heat exchanger? Europe sources 40% of its gas from Russia, and Germany is one of the most dependent countries. Critics say that Russian energy dependence is funding the invasion of Ukraine. In another apartment in Cologne, Paolo Alimanta is preparing a meal for his daughters. He sees the current energy debate as an opportunity for renewable energy. 
The pressure couldn't be heavier because the majority of Germans drive cars and because rent for people living in the city's apartments rose incredibly. I believe the government is now forced to get a lot of money very quickly and non-bureaucratically to get a lot of renewable energy into the country. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says the country may be able to end its imports of Russian oil within this year. But according to economic analysts, the decision could lead to a sharp economic downturn. The U.S. is evacuating all non-emergency American consulate staff and their families from Shanghai to mid the Chinese regime's harsh lockdown. The State Department said, quote, it's best for our employees and their families to be reduced in number and our operations to be scaled down. The department said it was due to COVID-related reasons. Shanghai reported over 20,000 virus cases today, though in reality, the number could be much higher. It seems Beijing is unhappy with the State Department's move. China's foreign ministry spokesman said the U.S. is politicizing the evacuation. But locals in Shanghai tell us they can't even get medical care. The lockdown has been in place for over two weeks now. Anthony's Don Ma has the latest, and again, this story contains some graphic video. From the poor to the rich, people in Shanghai are struggling to get medical care. The assistant to the president of a multi-billion dollar Chinese company couldn't get medical help amid the lockdown. Wei Guiguo from China Pacific Securities died in his home from internal bleeding in the brain. The lockdown in Shanghai has severely reduced essential medical services. Many hospitals' emergency services are not operating and many residents can't get emergency care. As a result, people are dying due to the lockdown measures rather than COVID. In this clip, it looks like the man's having a seizure. The person recording has called the emergency services, but no one's picking up. A number of Shanghai residents have told us over the phone they are experiencing similar situations. A woman told us that she's vomiting blood. She called the Chinese emergency number, but no one came to help. I'm at home now, vomiting blood and having trouble breathing. No one came to my aid. We called a lot, the police, the ambulance. No one came. Footage shows people desperately pleading in front of hospitals for help but in vain. Another resident told us in tears in a call that her father has a heart condition, but she can't find a hospital for him. My father's heart is already experiencing discomfort. I can't find a hospital or an ambulance. He's 63 years old. He lives all by himself. The food situation is not important anymore. He's already unconscious. Do you understand? But there could be a glimmer of hope coming out of Shanghai today. Authorities are easing the lockdown a bit, and some residents were allowed to go out their homes. Maybe authorities are seeing residents' hardship because health officials said they're easing restrictions even though Shanghai doesn't have the virus under control. Don Ma, NTD News. And Wall Street turned from green to red today after remarks from Fed Governor Lael Brainard. She says the Fed could start reducing its bond holdings as soon as June to fight inflation. 
That left the Dow down 88 points, three-tenths of a percent. The S&P down 15 points, also three-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 40 points, also about three-tenths of a percent today. Still to come, stay with us. Toyota's unveiling a new electric vehicle, its first fully electric one in eight years. Athleisure brand Lululemon announcing a new resale program. Soon it'll start buying back your used workout clothes. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. At the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world recently held in Miami, a new project aiming to bring about change in Washington, D.C. by painting the town orange by defending and supporting Bitcoin users' rights in the United States. Didis Zo has the story. So the common argument we hear is, look, Bitcoin doesn't need politicians. Bitcoin doesn't need the government. Bitcoin will be fine. Bitcoin, the network, the U.S. could ban Bitcoin tomorrow. The U.S. could ban Bitcoin mining tomorrow. And there will still be people mining Bitcoin in their homes. The big mining farms in Texas will move to another country that embraces Bitcoin. The network will be fine. However, that doesn't mean Bitcoin users in the United States will be fine. Grant McCarthy took the main stage at the biggest Bitcoin conference in Miami, announcing his latest initiative, the Bitcoin Advocacy Project, which he'll be overseeing as executive director. McCarthy sat down with NTD News after his speech to go into details. Bitcoiners are extremely passionate. They're online. If you're ever on Bitcoin Twitter, you see Bitcoiners are talking about Bitcoin all the time. They're reading all the time. They're seeing what their politicians are doing. But politics can feel super foreign. It can feel very divorced from our everyday lives. And people don't know how they can actually get involved. So the Bitcoin Advocacy Project is all about empowering Bitcoiners to take control over their own political advocacy. You don't need to hire a million dollar lobbyists. You can, using our tools, uh, in under 60 seconds, send an email or phone call to your politician uh, advocating for Bitcoin, protecting proof of work, self-custody, you know, Bitcoin, fundamental components of Bitcoin. Um, the other aspect of the Bitcoin Advocacy Project is we want to be a nexus point by which other political organizations in Bitcoin can thrive. And we want to support those organizations. So we provided seed funding for the Bitcoin Policy Institute, which is the first Bitcoin think tank in the United States. What they do is they provide high quality, objective information about Bitcoin um, to journalists, media, uh, politicians, and, and the public. And they're one of the most important organizations in Bitcoin right now. And then we've also funded the Financial Freedom Pack. Uh, which is the world's first Bitcoin super PAC uh, to elect pro-Bitcoin candidates in federal elections. You can spend unlimited money as a super PAC. Um, you can take unlimited donations as opposed to when you donate directly to a candidate, you're limited. Super PACs can take unlimited money, spend unlimited money. So we want to elect pro-Bitcoin candidates and get anti-Bitcoin candidates like Brad Sherman and Elizabeth Warren out of office. McCarthy says Bitcoin users are under attack right now, and that's why it's important to lobby Congress from the grassroots level. There were no Bitcoin-specific organizations that were doing what needs to be done. And when you look at the way politics work in the U.S., 
you can change policy in a few different ways. You can change policy from the top down where you hire lobbyists to talk to, to lawmakers and educate them and explain to them why certain laws are good or bad. Oftentimes you need a lot of money to do that. Um, and there are organizations doing that for crypto broadly and some Bitcoin stuff. Um, so you have the top-down approach. You have bottom-up, which is where pol politicians, they want to get reelected. They want to listen to their constituents. And when your constituents are loud and they tell politicians what they want to see, politicians tend to listen because they don't want to not get reelected. So we realized there was no bottom-up approach to Bitcoin advocacy. Bitcoiners were not a united front. They're yelling on Twitter. Um, that doesn't translate into meaningful policy action. And then the final aspect is we have top-down, bottom-up, and then you have election spending, which I guess is this bulldozer that comes in from the side. Uh, and it's true, follow the money. Um, unfortunately, I should be very pragmatic, U.S. politics, um, it's not as representative as people would like to think. Uh, if you have a lot of money, you can influence who your representatives are, who your senators are. Um, money spent on campaigns is directly correlated with who wins those campaigns. And so all that is to say, there is a political game in the United States, and many Bitcoiners don't want to engage in that game. That's totally okay. I'm not saying you should or have to do this, but at the point where we know how that game works, you realize some people are never going to learn. And the way I've put it is, <laughs> It's really hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Sometimes you just need to get a new dog. <laughs> McCarthy says he is not doing this for money. He is simply passionate and believes in the technology. He's excited to see what the next 10 to 20 years will look like. Phil Zoe, NTD News, Miami Beach. And Toyota is rolling out its first fully electric vehicle in eight years. Today it unveiled a battery-powered BZ4X small SUV. Starts at $42,000, can go up to 252 miles per charge. The BZ4X looks similar to, but it's slightly longer, lower, and wider than Toyota's RAV4. It's the top-selling vehicle in the U.S. that isn't a pickup truck. This is Toyota's first EV since 2014, when it last sold an electric version of the RAV4. Toyota says it plans to offer 15 electric vehicles by 2025. Seven will be under the BZ brand. It stands for Beyond Zero. And Honda yesterday also announced it will invest $40 billion to go electric, saying it's planning to launch 30 new EV models. And a metal-rich asteroid orbiting the sun between Mars and Jupiter may soon have its first visitor from Earth. NASA technicians are preparing the Psyche aircraft to explore it. Workers at the NASA Jet Propulsion, La Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California are putting the unmanned explorer through its final testing before its scheduled launch later this year in Cape Canaveral, Florida. This is a really in incredible uh, spacecraft that's going to help us do some really fundamental exploration. We're going to be going to an asteroid that's never been visited before. The spacecraft will spend 21 months orbiting the asteroid, also named Psyche, in 2026 to study its properties and building block of planet formation. I've been working on this for nine years since it was just a concept on a whiteboard and it is amazing how close we are to actually getting to ship this. Um, it feels great to be here. It also is tremendous, tremendously uh, pressure and work because we got to make that window and we need to make sure everything works. 
This will be the first mission to explore an asteroid composed of metals instead of ice and rock. And Lululemon wants to buy back your used workout clothes, just not too used. They announced a new resale program called Lululemon Like New. So starting April 22nd, you can go to any Lululemon store in the U.S. and exchange your gently used Lululemon items for an e-gift card. The value of the gift cards will depend on the type of item traded in and its condition, from $5 from shirts and shorts, $10 for sweatshirts and leggings, up to $25 for coats and jackets. The chain will evaluate and clean the items, then offer the approved items for resale on lululemon.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Cancel catch NTD Evening News. That's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.